0: Good morning, Tri-Valley. Uh, this is our second and final week of our preacher swap experiment, which means that I am in another church preaching this morning, and you guys are blessed to have an amazing guest preacher today. Guys, who's our guest preacher? Brian Sandeen. Yes, it's Brian Sandine from the San Leandro Church of Christ. Well, I have to say, hands down, greatest introduction I've ever had. You know, in my 40-something years of preaching, I mean uh, 40-something years of, as a Christian and my 30-something years of preaching, I didn't always understand what Jesus meant when he said, kingdom of God. When he began his public ministry in Mark chapter 1, he began by telling people that the kingdom of God is near. When he sent the 12 disciples and later his 72 followers out to do ministry, he empowered them to heal. And then he instructed them to preach about the kingdom of God. He himself spoke about it on many occasions when he taught his disciples to pray. One of the parts of that prayer is for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, there are those dozen or so parables that say the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like. And so we know the kingdom of God is important to Jesus and his message But what exactly does he mean by that? One of the things that complicates our understanding of the kingdom is that as Americans, we live in a democracy. We have never lived under a king, so we know very little about what a kingdom is like. And even kings and kingdoms today are a bit different than they were in the ancient world. So let's stop and think for a moment about what we do know. Maybe the kingdoms that we know the most about are the Babylonians, the Romans, and then the the British Empire, a little closer to our time. And those kingdoms had a couple of things in common. First, there was the king. Kingdoms are ruled and defined by the king. That's why they're called kingdoms, right? Right. And those kings have absolute power and authority. They can do what they want, when they want, wherever they want, no matter what. They demand complete allegiance. No one is their equal. Anyone in their presence must humble themselves if they are admitted to the king's presence at all. There is no one like the king. And so the king his his image his will his place his importance his efforts his principles his person all of those things shape the kingdom and are to be respected at all times kingdoms are ruled and defined by the king The second thing about those those kingdoms is that uh, is that their empire spread Each of those kingdoms we mentioned expanded to rule over parts, if not all, of the known world at the time. So the Babylonians possessed everything we know as the Middle East today. The Romans conquered the Mediterranean world from the Middle East to Britain. And the British Empire colonized nations from Europe to Africa, from Asia to Australia, from North America to islands all over the globe. Now, because of this, when we think of kingdoms today, we tend to think in terms of geography. How much and which territory does a king have? And while that's part of it, a kingdom is more than mere geography. In fact, kingdom really refers to the reign or the rule of a king which transcends physical places. Because a king cannot be everywhere at once to ensure that his will is done and his policies are carried out, he must rely on representatives who support him, officials who defend him, and then people who follow him. What's more, all of those people must be willing to do that, whether they like it or not, or the kingdom will collapse, as all human kingdoms have done at one time or another. And so, a kingdom is, and a kingdom really exists when people allow the king to rule on the throne of their heart, and then give their allegiance by the way that they live. In this way, a kingdom transcends the limits of place and time, and the will of the king can be done on the other side of the globe. It is the same with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is all about the rule or the reign of God in a person's heart, the kingdom of God is, is all about, about God's reign for us. In fact, the words reign and kingdom are often used synonymously, interchangeably in Scripture. Luke 1.33 says, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Revelation 11.15 says, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And not only is God's kingdom eternal and never-ending, but Jesus said the kingdom of God is not like a military or political movement that you can see coming. It does not come with careful observation, nor will people say here it is or, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. And so when a person enthrones God as king of who they are and then devotes themselves to living out what God wants them to be, that is the kingdom of God. It can exist anywhere, at any time, and with anyone who gives themselves fully to the Lord. Are you with me? All right, good. Now, to explain the kingdom of God, one thing that Jesus did was tell us parables about it. And most of those parables tell us one or two simple truths or principles about God's kingdom. For example, the parable of the sower says that the kingdom comes to people with receptive hearts, right, good soil. The parable of the ten virgins says that the kingdom is something for which we must be prepared. It requires our attention, our vigilance. The parable of the unmerciful servant says that kingdom people display godly character. Mercy is one of those character traits, but the kingdom is certainly not limited to that. The parable of the hidden treasure and of the pearl of great price explain that the kingdom is of incredible value. And the parable of the talents says that the kingdom involves investing ourselves in God's purpose. There are many more kingdom parables, of course, each telling us about how God acts toward people, what a godly person is like, and the impact that kingdom living can have. So there are all kinds of things that we can learn about God's kingdom through the parables. My parables for today come from Matthew thirteen thirty-one through 33. There are two of them with the same message, and they say this, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can perch in its branches. And the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, if I were to ask you what the basic principle or basic point of these parables is, what would you say? Well, I think Jesus uses these parables to say that once the kingdom of God is established, it will grow tremendously. Once it is planted in the ground, once it is worked all through the dough, it will become an unexpectedly large plant. It will become a full loaf of bread. The kingdom of God grows dramatically. And if you have and if you have been a Christian, or or even if you're not yet a Christian, but you're testing the waters with Jesus, you know the truth of this parable. Because I am confident that, that just like Me, your life is no longer the same as it was before you began to follow God. In fact, it has grown and changed in all kinds of ways. Every once in a while, we can stop and look back at where we once were and know that we are not the same people that we used to be. And so the kingdom is, and it really exists. Sorry. So every once in a while, we could stop, look back, see that we're not the same people that we we were a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, or more. The kingdom of God grows dramatically. Now, while that seems rather simplistic, I actually think it is quite important for us. And so in the time that I have left today, I want to talk about two ways that the kingdom of God grows that are relevant for us. And in both places, the kingdom of God grows because the kingdom never stops coming, never stops advancing. It is always on the move. First, the kingdom grows and never stops coming because God is always at work to extend his kingdom in the world. The history of the kingdom of God on earth is the story of God's continued attempts to offer his kingdom to people so that we might participate in it, share it, and its mission. Unfortunately, running parallel to God's attempts are people's efforts to run the kingdom of God their own way. And that is why God has had to make different attempts over and over again. He has had to try in different ways to extend us his kingdom. It began in the Garden of Eden when God created a beautiful world and everything was perfect. And God gave people the kingdom responsibility of ruling over plants and animals, managing the rest of creation. But Adam and Eve thought that paradise would be even more perfect if they could have it their own way. And so they ate the forbidden fruit, and nothing was ever perfect again. Well, as life went on after the Garden of Eden, God continued to extend us, the kingdom, through individual relationships. And there were faithful folks like Abel and Enoch and Noah. But as godly people began to die, evil and wickedness grew in the hearts of others. And it wasn't long until Genesis 6 tells us that every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. And so we had the flood. After the flood, we had the Tower of Babel. Instead of spreading out over the earth, the people were scared of being scattered, and so they decided to stay in one place and build a city. And instead of honoring God there, they wanted to build a name for themselves, build a tower into the heavens to the place of God himself. None of those things were kingdom aspirations, and all they did was lead people further down that road of destruction that they had been on since leaving Eden. God knew this hated to see it happen, and so he chose to act decisively. And in what would cover the rest of what we know as Old Testament history, God began with Abraham and Sarah, with their descendants who become the nation of Israel, and he extended his kingdom to them. He chose them to be his people, and being chosen by God constituted inclusion in the kingdom of God. He delivered them from slavery, and Egypt gave them the promised land, Those were all kingdom gifts to Israel. But God's intentions didn't stop with Israel. While he blessed them and made them his own, he also called on Israel to help him share his kingdom with other nations too. A light to the nations he wanted them to be. Now, unfortunately, Israel was never very good at being that light. At times, their selfishness and pride got in the way. At other times, they were, they were glad to be the chosen kingdom. They just wanted it to go their way instead of God's. And in time, it would crumble around them. When all of God's attempts to extend his kingdom to people did not work out as God would have liked, he turned to his son, who not only brought salvation to mankind, but the kingdom as well. In fact, it is in Jesus that the kingdom of God breaks into our world like never before. In Jesus, the kingdom of God comes and stakes its claim for human hearts and lives, making it possible for people to live in the kingdom as God designed. In Jesus, we see not only what the kingdom means for God, but also what it means for us. First, as God came in the flesh, Jesus is the prince of the kingdom the embodiment of the kingdom. In everything he does, we see the kingdom come alive. Second, we see the kingdom in the miracles of Jesus because when he did them, he restored a bit of that perfection that characterizes God's kingdom. Third, we hear the principles of God's kingdom in the teaching of Jesus. It's in the Sermon on the Mount and the Lord's Prayer. It's with the woman at the well and the one caught in adultery. It is with his I am statements, his, his calls to discipleship, uh, and in his kingdom parables. In all of these ways, he tells us that the kingdom is, is much different place and works in very different ways than the world we know. Fourth, we see the kingdom contested in his conflicts with the Pharisees and teachers of the law. That their conflict was a struggle for the correct understanding of the kingdom. The Jews thought the Messiah should be the ultimate insider, someone who thought like them, taught like them, shared their values and their ways. But as it became more and more clear that Jesus was not their ultimate insider and that he would continue to teach and promote his understanding of God, well, the Jewish leaders could not stand for that. In their plot to kill him, they actually rejected the king of the kingdom It is perhaps the ultimate example of people wanting the kingdom of God but wanting it their way instead of God's way. Ironically, it was in their killing of Jesus that the kingdom of God reached its climax on earth because it is through the death and resurrection of Jesus that Christ holds open the door to the kingdom wide for people. Through baptism and the gift of God's Holy Spirit, he gives us new birth into the kingdom of God, a new beginning under the reign of God, following Jesus' kingdom examples, aligning ourselves with his kingdom teachings. It is all made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so my, my first point is that in these large ways in our world, the kingdom of God has come, the kingdom of God has grown, as God has offered his kingdom to us, hoping that we would be a part of it in Eden After the flood, after Babel, and with Israel, and then ultimately in Jesus, God wanted all people and then all nations of people to follow him, to take up his way as their own, live out his character and his way in the world. And whenever people or cities or countries did that and lived it out with others, the kingdom of God came, came on earth like it is in heaven, came and grew, came and grew dramatically. Dramatically. You know, God still works in these large ways and on the world stage to see his kingdom come today. For example, when the U.S. supports the people of Ukraine, the kingdom of God comes. When Britain fights AIDS in Africa, the kingdom of God comes. When churches send medical missionaries to Syrian refugee camps, the kingdom of God comes. When South Africa gave up apartheid for racial justice and continues to try to make that right, the kingdom of God comes. When the island nation of the Seychelles created an Indian Ocean sanctuary to protect endangered whales, the kingdom of God comes. There is a world full of examples. You see, I mention these things that we don't typically associate with church or spiritual life as kingdom life for this reason. I believe that God has and still is continually at work in the world among nations, world leaders, social movements, charitable organizations, companies government organizations, and all of the people involved in those things, whether they belong to God or not, to bring about the good things and the godly changes that God desires in the world. Sometimes it's just God using people and resources to do good. Other times it is God redeeming things that have been terrible, unconscionable, sinful, to bring blessing and change where it has been needed. Sometimes people are doing God's work and don't even know it. Other times it's followers of Jesus serving in these places and organizations because when they do, the kingdom grows. And when we support those efforts or are involved in things like them ourselves, the kingdom comes, the kingdom grows through us, and it grows dramatically. Now my my second point is much more personal Because another way to look at our parables today is to see that one mustard seed planted and growing into a tree as you. And to see every bit of yeast in the dough that rises into a loaf of bread as me. We are the ones who grow as we commit to follow Jesus and God does his kingdom work through us. And so, in a very personal way, the kingdom comes as we live out kingdom principles on the job, in our families, and in our relationships with others. It it comes in the priorities we set and the decisions we make by which we honor God. It comes as we bring Jesus into relationships we share with others, that they might know us better, and in that way, come to know Jesus better, too, because his kingdom lives in us. Now, unfortunately, we too can be people who want the kingdom to go our way. And so we must remember that in a kingdom, we live under the rule of the king and his subjects, his servants, his chosen and dearly loved people. You know, our kingdom life is also a matter of obedience, submission, even repentance And so every time that our devotion to the Lord grows, the kingdom comes. Every time any selfishness, bitterness, or lust in our hearts is surrendered, the kingdom comes. Every time we serve our spouse rather than insisting on our own way, the kingdom comes. Every time thy will be done, not my will be done, the kingdom comes and comes with power. Whenever the will of God is done on earth, the kingdom of God comes. Whenever the will of God is done in a person's heart, a person's life, the kingdom of God comes. Whenever the will of God is done in a relationship, in the midst of a conflict, when a decision is made, when someone is helped, when an enemy is loved, the kingdom of God comes. Whenever sin is resisted, whenever justice is served, whenever joy is celebrated, Whenever someone makes peace or promotes peace rather than selfishness, the kingdom of God comes. And as it comes, it grows. It is always growing. I think Jesus spoke so often of the kingdom and wanted us clearly to know that the kingdom of God is within us because at its very essence, the kingdom resides in a person's heart when God reigns there. It's about a person's identity when they choose to follow Jesus. In fact, it is so much of who a person is that it shows up in their character, in their actions, in their relationships, in their conversations, in their willingness to serve someone else and talk about God along the way. That is the only way that you can say, here it is, or there it is. For when the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, the feet go The hands serve. That's when the kingdom of God grows. In all of these ways, it grows. It grows in size, and it grows in spirit. God's kingdom is a wonderful thing. When we take our place in it, there is great adventure to be had. And so God does his best to have us all be a part in it. This morning, it is my hope that you can see the kingdom of God coming and growing in the Tri-Valley Church as God does his work through you as a group, as an organization of God followers who have made Jesus your king. It's also my hope that individually, each and every one of you will continue to permit God to, to rule you over your heart and life, to, to have his way with you so that in all kinds of ways you might see the kingdom grow in your own life as God desires and grow dramatically. Let's pray.